it's interesting as we listen to some of the hymns that have been sung today that the main theme is Jesus Christ and his shed blood and forgiveness and that he's coming back and praise the Lord that he is because I was asking someone this morning how long is it going to be before we start to see the real decline as to what's coming. History has shown that we are now looking at a time in a time that we live in of great change. Um, Pastor McConnell talked this morning about 40 years ago, there was things that are happening in this country that you would not even speak of. Um, and it's, it's rather sad that um, we are not uh, standing up for the truth as it should be. Um, if you take your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. And it was interesting watching the other week Matthew Shippard's testimony and talks about the joy of the Lord in his heart. The joy is unspeakable because when you come to realise what you've been rescued from and where you're going to, it's a joy that the world cannot give. It's a peace that the world cannot give. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Tonight we're going to examine through the scriptures as to what the Christian life is. We are ambassadors for Christ and the life we live for him through the power of the Holy Spirit is what we are designed for and designed to be. Whether you've been saved 75 years or 75 minutes, God has set some reminders and news for us through his word. If you're not saved, I pray that this message you see Jesus Christ and his calling Tomorrow might not come. You mightn't be on this planet. And the one thing that you need to have if you leave this place is the righteousness of Christ. So there's 10 points we're going to look at. And it's in our outline there is the, the gospel, a life of faith, lived by example, death to self, a life of witness, a life that costs a life of obedience, a life of discipline, a fruitful life, and it will be a life of judgment, rest and rewards. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we have Jesus Christ who came from out of his heavenly throne, came to be a sacrifice 
for our sins. We have no righteousness of our own, for our righteousness are but filthy rags. But on that cross, you, Jesus Christ, you took on our sin and you gave us your righteousness. But where would we be without that? We give thanks and glory and honour to you that we continue to be ambassadors for you, Lord, that we live a life according to your word and it is done through the power of the Holy Spirit and not of our own effort, that we continue to look to you for guidance, for comfort, for understanding. Let your words resonate in our hearts that we continue not just on Sundays to be in your word but throughout the week. We pray for divine appointments to let some poor soul of a God that loves them, that he died for them, and that one day you will stand before him. We give thanks and glory and honour to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, the gospel. So what is the Christian life? First, it's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ made a declaration of truth. The Holy Spirit shows us through his word here. Only God can forgive sins. Not a minister, not a pope, only God can. Christ died for our sins. God is eternal. That means his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, must be God and eternal too. Only he can forgive sins. It was according to the scriptures, the word come alive. He was buried and rose again. If you're a Christian or a follower of Christ... You are now dead to the law, buried in baptism of the Holy Spirit and alive again to serve God, not yourself. It's very hard sometimes when we have to realise that we're not the most important person in the world. We have to realise sometimes there's something greater than ourselves. We are taught from a young age that we are special and we are important. Yes, we are in God's eyes. But we're not better than anyone else. And I think sometimes the world sees Christians that they're holier than thou. But we have to remain humble and under the hand of God. Because God will soon pull you down if you start to get a little bit haughty. A little bit pride in what you do. Number two. is a life of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not, uh, were not made of the things which do appear. All hoped, well, Things hoped for, things not seen. 
Today, if man can't experience it with his five senses, to him it doesn't exist. Now, who can I who can I pick on here? John, brother John McDonald. Do you have a great 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 grandfather? Have you seen him? But do you know he existed? How do you know he existed? Thank you very much. That's exactly right. Why are we here? God, if we go back and look at creation, said that our first great-great-grandparents sinned. They would say that God told them, do not, and they did. And if you go back in Genesis 3 and you look at the first thing that happened after the fall, the greatest emotion, the greatest feeling that we have is fear because it's the first thing that happened when they were found naked. They feared the Lord. Not fear is in reverence. They feared the fact of what they've done and they knew what they did. We pray and reach out to God. We walk by faith, not by sight. God puts in place things to happen to us, good or bad. God places us around people that we sometimes don't wish to talk to, that we might not want to associate with. How many times has the Holy Spirit talked to you here and said witness to that person? And we fear the face of man at times to not witness. Why? You can see later on that God has given us a command. This is not a choice. This is a command. We do it. We probably do have the choice not to do it, but we're here for God's purpose, not our own. Trusting God and by His word. If you deny what Jesus Christ has said, you're calling God a liar. If you look at all the religions of the world, they deny who Jesus Christ is. The Son of Man, the Son of God, the Eternal. It's sad that we're seeing in society, especially in Australia, I was talking about this this morning, that on Sundays, church was pretty much the only thing open. Shops weren't open. Recreational activities didn't happen. And what is really bizarre is the fact that people try and fill their lives with other things other than God. There is a vacant spot in people's hearts who don't have Christ and they try and fill it with all sorts of other junk that will one day end. But one day they've got to stand before the one who they've rejected. Number three, it is a life by example from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to John 10.10. 10. It talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. John 10.10. 10. 
The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might, might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ left the glory and richness of heaven, was born of a virgin in poverty. There was no room at the inn for him. He gave all that up for a very specific reason. He was about his father's business. Isaiah 57 says he set his face like a flint. He had one goal in life. And that was to pay the ransom that was due to God. Just this week I've been doing a study on sin and the wrath of God. We only get a glimpse of what heaven is like. The seraphim around God saying, holy, holy, holy. How can the human mind even grasp that? God is holy. He will not tolerate sin in any way, shape or form. And I think people like to carve a God out of their own head. Jesus won't send me to hell. I'm a good person. Jesus won't send me to hell. I do this. I do that. It doesn't matter what you do. What matters is if you have his righteousness. That's what counts. It's the righteousness of Christ that he clothes you in his righteousness. That's the only thing God the Father accepts is what he did, not what you do. He was not thinking of himself on the cross while in utter agony. He looked down on the very people who spat, scoffed, yelled. If he is the Christ, let him save himself and come down off the cross. But what was Jesus Christ's response? He prayed to his father, forgive them for they do know for they do not know what they do. He gave us his life. Yet in his death we have life. Being a school teacher, I want you to next week, for those of you here, look up Barabbas and who Barabbas was. Pilate tried to ease his conscience by saying, well, look, how about we, uh, we switch this up a bit? I don't see any fault in Jesus. Let's bring Barabbas out and let's crucify him. And the Jews turned around and said, no. Crucify him. Crucify him. Here was the innocent being traded for the guilty. Just as you are guilty and Jesus Christ being innocent. Number four, it's a life of death to self. 
Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. People are quite happy sometimes to wear a cross, but they don't carry it. Look at me, I'm religious. The cross itself is an instrument of death. Crucifixion was a death sentence. There was no appeal or court of order of stay of execution. You were passed as guilty of the crime that you were charged with. Please take your Bibles now to Mark 14, 61 to 64. And the irony in this is almost beyond belief. What was Jesus Christ charged with? And you'll see it in here, he was charged with blasphemy. Mark fourteen sixty one to 64. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Out thou, the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And look at this. They all contemned him to be guilty of death. Webster's Dictionary defines blasphemy as, one, the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. What were these? What did the high priest do? Here's the irony. He was lacking reverence for God. God was standing right in front of him. Two, it's the act of claiming the attributes of a deity. Jesus Christ was God. And what do all religions and sects do? They rightly blaspheme Jesus Christ, but not recognize him as God eternal. If you want to shut the mouths of any religious zealot, you ask them, where's your prophet? Where's Muhammad? He's in the ground. Where's our saviour? He's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. To follow the cross, you like what God likes. You hate what God hates. God likes holiness. We too should like holiness. God loves sinners. We should love sinners. God hates sin. We should hate sin. Let me tell you, it's very hard sometimes. Because it's our default 
mode is to like sin. This morning we had the Lord's table. And we're reminded of how much God the Father hates sin. Jesus Christ was marred like no other man for our sin. We don't hate the effeminate. We don't hate homosexuals. We don't hate heathens. We don't hate devil worshippers. God died for them too. We don't hate sex offenders, rapists or murderers. We hate what they do. Because just remember that Jesus Christ died for them too. It's pretty quiet in here. Because we have to put our own prejudice aside sometimes and realise that we're not the centre of the universe. We can lay claim to the truth that's in God's word, but we have to walk it. I've often said plenty of times that the cross of Christ has splinters in it. It's not, sh- it's not nice and smooth wood. Jesus Christ himself had his back whipped. He had chunks of flesh ripped out of it and then he was slammed onto a cross with splinters in it. And it shows you how much God hates sin. Number five. It's a life of witness. Here's the command. And Jesus came and spoke unto them. This is out of Matthew 28, 8 and 20. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Brother Bernie Walker last week preached on the word all. Look at how many alls there are in this verse. All power, all nations, all things. Go, let others know. Teach to observe what I have commanded you. Baptize. Command and assurance that he is with us. Everything that we do, we have to do under the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the one that puts people in front of us. We have a message for them. And I pray that this week we have a divine appointment with someone where the topic or the conversation comes up about God. That God gives you boldness to say, hey, let's bypass the weather. Let's bypass what's happening in Australia. Let's bypass the sport and the cricket or whatever. Let's say, hey, listen, I love my God enough and I love you enough to let you know about your soul. To let you know that Jesus Christ created all this for you. That he came and died on a wooden cross at Calvary. Was buried and raised three days later. 
Next point, number six. It's a life that costs. It says you shall have trial and tribulation. Please take your Bibles and turn to John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Jesus Christ here talked about himself. Do you now believe? He says in verse 31. Smite the shepherd. You shall have trial and tribulations. These things I have spoken unto you, that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What did it cost Christ? It cost him his life. He came here and he said to the ones who were in charge, you're supposed to be giving people the message of salvation yet you hide behind the cloak of respectability you hide behind everything that I am not you follow the traditions of your fathers you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing so woe to the Pharisees woe to the scribes woe to the Sadducees they had a job to do they didn't do it. If we look at history, what does it cost faithful men and women of the Bible? What did it cost Abel? He was being faithful. His brother Cain slew him. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. What did it cost Abraham? What did it cost Moses? The apostles. Excluding Judas and John, the apostles were stoned. Apostles had their heads cut off. The apostles were crucified. And we go weak at the knees when we have to do, talk to someone or witness to someone about Christ. a life that costs what does it cost you these things we contemplate on what has it cost you has it cost you friends family has it cost you your job has it cost you a loved one I finished reading a book about 18 months ago about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Sudan, Islamic strongholds. Do you know that if you baptize someone and you're caught, the baptizer? And the one being baptised have their head cut off. We are free to do this in our own country. And thank God for that. 
It's pretty sad, though, that we don't have the guts to talk to someone about Christ. Number seven, it's a life of obedience. 1 Samuel 15, listen to what God said. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. They didn't do that. Their choice was to spare the king and take the spoil. Today, the descendants of the Amicalites in Israel are causing havoc. Near the Edomites, they camped themselves in the West Bank, in Gaza. If God asks you to do something, and we're his ambassadors, we do it. Christianity today has become a buffet. I'll eat that, but I'm not touching that. Jesus Christ did not do that. He copped the whole lot. He took all our sin. Not just some, but all. We too are to be obedient to Christ. Number eight, it's a disciplined life. Ephesians 4, 10 to 13. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. It requires effort to be in service. There are roles and responsibilities in ministry, whether it's preaching, cleaning the toilets, mowing the lawns, visiting someone, taking time to let someone else know that you're interested in them. It takes devotion, reading the word, allowing God to work in our lives, allowing God to tell us, not we tell God. God is not a poker machine. You don't put your prayer and pull the handle and expect something. We need to, as God's people, to be not only a witness, but we are also to be reverent of God. We are to pray without ceasing. We come to God with our petitions, yes. But we also come to God seeking forgiveness and it's not until we get on the other side after death that you're going to see how great a salvation that we have it's a time of fellowship with others we get to spend time with each other before I became a Christian 
my friends and I, we did things that we didn't care about God. We didn't care about what he thought. I had my mum who was saved at the age of 12 teach me and preach to me about certain things regarding God, but I didn't care. Let me tell you, when I saw my dad die, that shook me right up. Here was my dad one day, gone the next. Where did he go? And just as I stand here today, one day I too, unless the Lord tarries, are going to die. Where am I going to go? I know where I'm going. But the question we have to ask ourselves, if you're serious, is where am I going? What has the Lord done for me that I may be with him? It is a commitment to God. Not done in your esteem or your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at in Acts 2, when the disciples... After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he said, wait, the Holy Spirit will come. He said, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But how bold were they when they preached the message of salvation? Here before, they scattered. Boom. Peter three times denied him, denied Christ. And imagine the look Christ gave him when that cock crowed. He was fearful. But after the resurrection, he was bold. Paul, too, was someone that was a persecutor of Christians. But after the Holy Spirit came to him and told him of these things, and the Lord himself told him, why do you persecute me? So the religious think they're doing the right thing, but they're not. This is truth. This will always be truth. No matter what man says or what people say. Number nine, the Christian life is a fruitful life. Please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Okay, God, I don't... I'll I'll do this on my own. And God reminds me... All the time, no, you can't. The Christian life is a fruitful life. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these, if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We're not to be 
barren or unfruitful. We need to be in a close, intimate relationship with Christ. John 15, 5-11 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Listen to this. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. They're useless. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye shall will. Shall will. Ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is in my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you that you might that that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The joy of the Lord. I am the, van, I am the vine, you are the branches. You shall never fail. Wow. Just think, when Jesus Christ was led away and put on that cross, Satan thought, beauty, I've got him. But what Satan didn't know, it was his defeat at the hands of Jesus Christ on that cross. The very thing that the thief came to steal and kill and take away, Jesus Christ took back. What a saviour, hey? Number 10. It will be a life of judgment, rest and rewards. Hebrews 9.27 says, And is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's no coming back. There's one life to live. Are you going to live it for yourself or are you going to live it for Christ? Judgment. Judgment in the sight of God occurred in many places in the Bible, but the ultimate judgment rested on Christ. What he does do today, and we're reminded this morning that it was him that died for our sins. He tasted death for every man, separation from God. And we too one day will stand before God to give an account. We get rest from Satan, sin, this body and mind and the world. Just when we think things are really bad, we see this. Only what I can describe from what I've studied is this communistic push. That what was once that we held so dear in this country, our Christian heritage, is cast aside for something new and something better. But the problem is, it's not new. It's not better. And it's going to end in tears. Let's pray for our children, our grandchildren. What are they going to have to face that we haven't had to face yet?
There's going to be rewards for sinners and believers. For sinners, what's their reward? I really hate to even think on this. An eternal separation from God. What Jesus Christ took upon himself on the cross. I'm sure we have family members and friends are literally living on a nice edge. That's why we are to pray for them. That's why when Jesus Christ says, witness to that soul, there's a reason. We put aside our pride, we put aside our fear of men's faces and we let them know of a God who loves them. People's objections to God is how come he allows things, bad things to happen? What do you expect when you push him out of your life? Pastor McConnell talked about separation this morning. Eternity. For believers, I don't know about you, but the only thing I ever want to hear out of my Lord and Saviour's mouth, Jesus Christ, when I enter heaven, is this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The meaning of life and the Christian life are inseparable. Man's chief end is a restoration of a broken relationship by his or her choices. It's a reconciliation from God. Christ, not man, has reached out to restore this broken relationship. God the Father put in place a plan that was never going to fail. This plan has and will set out to achieve what God wants it to achieve. God said, my word, my word will not return unto me void. The Son, Jesus Christ, said, I will pay the price for man's redemption with my body and blood. The Holy Spirit convicts and makes alive. Christian life's not always easy or comfortable, but the rewards far outweigh the struggles, the despair, the heartache, the grief, the loss of a loved one, and the misery life can bring. And let me finish by giving us comfort that we find in God's word. And it's found in Romans 8, 38 and 39. And Paul gives a witness of the very things he lived through. Shipwrecked, stoned to death, whipped, ridiculed, scorned and reviled, Yet through all that, God delivered him for a purpose. Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You shall receive a crown, and when you do, you can cast it at his feet. From these scriptures at the start, we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that God the Father has been appeased or satisfied eternally through the shed blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man cannot save himself. What can he offer God 
the Father that he will accept. Everything, everything has been provided for through the Lord Jesus Christ's atonement on your behalf. If you're here today in this building listening or watching online, God the Father despises sin. Sin brings death. Jesus Christ reconciled man back to God. The Father was satisfied with the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on your behalf. He, not you, tasted death for your sins. If you reject Jesus Christ, you've rejected the only way back to God the Father. An eternal separation from God. And the Holy Spirit convicts. Jesus Christ takes your sin and in return, he gives you his righteousness. Ask yourself this question. What righteousness do you have? Your own or the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ asks us today to watch and pray, continue in his word, be faithful, but most of all, understand that God is in control, not you. We make choices, but God knows beforehand the choices that we make, the outcome and the consequences. We're going to sing hymn 149 when we see Christ. And it says, To God be the glory great things he has done. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. May we be examples to others. May God bless you with his truth. The Bible said, It may hurt you with the truth, but it will never comfort you with a lie. And if we're ambassadors, we're to live a life according to what he wants, not what we want. We continue to look to him and we continue in fellowship with him. And if at any time we sin, we have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. What a saviour. When we sing how great thou art, how great thou art. How could we ever, if you think about this, if he didn't do what he did, where would we be ending up? So ask God for boldness, ask God for the words. I'm not there to argue with them about evolution or creation but to talk to them about their soul and where they're going did you know that you're sharing and that when you share the gospel you're sharing in something that is so precious something so great that we too do not let it if we don't let others know, what does that make us? We have to understand, yes, that we are. there are times we need to keep our mouth shut and there are times that we need to open it. But we rely on Christ and not ourselves. And that's what the whole message is about. It is Jesus Christ and his work, his righteousness. Brother Bernie.